Well, let me personally welcome all of you that are with us today here in Chan at Bush Lake and uh, in Woodside and those that are online with us. Glad you're here. And if you're a visitor, um, it is my hope and my prayer that you just feel right at home and that you'll be glad that you came today. Well, we're interrupting the Thrive Bringing Life to Life series in order to acknowledge the historic events that unfolded this past week. But specifically, we want to seize the opportunity that is ours to hear the voice of God in the midst of it. That's what's most important. So we're going to pick up Thrive next week. I'm so excited about that series. We're two parts into it already. It's so relevant. So next week, we'll pick it up again, come back for Thrive next Sunday. Well, let's start by acknowledging right off the bat the power of prayer. I just think this is the best starting place, especially in light of last week when I came to you with a spirit of urgency, inviting all of us to be in prayer for unity, for peace, for protection, for justice in our city. And uh, we joined together, and thank you, by the way, so many of you um, downloaded that prayer guide and joined us, and we linked arms with churches all across the Twin Cities. And I think it's really important on this week when we boldly asked for prayer last week to say, we saw answered prayer this past week. Concern for our citizens, our, our businesses, our neighborhoods, there was a relief, and we wanna thank God for answered prayer. You were part of that this past week. I also, in preparation for today, felt it was really important that we begin in prayer and not just for prayer of the events that unfolded last week but if you've been around Westwood you've heard me say there's a movement of God in the Twin Cities that's where here near and far the mission that we brought to you has flowed out of and I'm seeing it everywhere and this whole arena the thing has ignited I think in an affirmation of what God is doing with people in the Twin Cities so I want to go beyond praying for this week and the events of it to invite you to pray for those in your own sphere of influence who need the Lord Jesus, who need a change in their life, who need maybe help or healing. I'm going to give you an opportunity in quiet prayer, wherever you might be, to offer the faces of those, the lives of those before the Lord. And then if you want to take on um, a healing for the culture of our country and how we move forward into this arena, would invite you to do that as well. I just think it's good center. Would you join me? Go before the Lord quietly. Just bring your life to the Lord and take a moment. And if there be somebody in your sphere of influence you just know needs a change, needs healing, they need the Lord Jesus, just offer them. He's listening. Take a moment to do that. Father, we don't want to rush anywhere. We attend to your presence. We need your presence. And we say hallelujah, that you are worthy to be praised. We come humbly thanking you for being a God who loves us and cares about us, who meets us right where we're at and then takes us to new vistas with great hope. We pray your perfect will to be done in our lives, but in so many people who need you, our loved ones, um, they have needs, our neighbors, our acquaintances who need you in their lives. We've offered them to you. 
Some need to know that they belong, that they're loved. Some others simply need some kind of help or healing um, in their life that only you can provide. So give to people what they most need, Lord, we ask. And we pray for our community today, our cities and our country, for God change, for your healing. I pray that your truth will reign, ushered in from heaven to earth. And it all begins with a posture that, that comes to you with honesty. We confess our sins to you. It starts there. And we receive forgiveness, wanting to live in the freedom, the victory that comes in Christ Jesus. So put a shield around us as we declare your word in this hour. Put a shield around our families and our communities and let your name be exalted today and always. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Thanks for joining me with that. Historic events have a way of impacting your life and even shaping your future. Um, these are events that have shaped my life and you have your own. So some of these are a little bit dated, but if you were around with the dates that I'm gonna share with you, where were you? And what were you feeling? Where were you on November 22nd, 1963, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated? And some of you might be thinking, who's John F. Kennedy? <laughs> I realize that we have to go back a ways. I was sitting on the floor of our home in South Minneapolis at that time and watching my mom sitting on the couch paying attention to the TV and the news coverage. And I'll say, as a six-year-old boy, I had no idea what assassination was or who the president was, none of that. But my feeling was one of concern because my mom was crying on the couch. It's my first recollection of seeing my mother cry. And it shaped me. Adults cry. I thought only kids cried at that time. Adults cry. Where were you on July 20th, 1969, when Apollo 11 was the space flight that first landed humans on the moon? I was in Lincoln, Nebraska at my cousin's house, sitting on the floor. There's a theme here. Kids sit on the floor. <laughs> and the place was full of neighbors and acquaintances that had come. It was a packed house for this significant event in history. And we watched this news coverage, and as Apollo 11 made that descent to the moon, it got quiet until they safely landed. And then it just erupted into a party. Party is part of life, is what I learned as a young boy. And my feeling was one of elation that dreams do come true. Where were you on July 25th, 1981? And you're thinking, July 25th, 1981. July 25th, 1981. Well, it's a personal deal. I was looking into the eyes of my beautiful bride-to-be exchanging vows. <laughs> you weren't there, but I was there and I was saying yes to marry her and praying that she would say yes back. That's what I was praying for in that moment. And I'm so glad she did. My feeling was to be blessed. You know, it's always a vulnerable thing when you grow up as a kid in a broken home. My parents had been divorced. So many of my family had experienced divorce. And people had concerns about me. And I, I wondered, could I hang in there? This summer, we celebrate 40 years of marriage. Am I as blessed today as I was then? So grateful. I've learned about God's faithfulness, to be faithful to him as he is faithful to us, even in our relationships. 
Where were you on Tuesday, April 20th, 2021, when the verdict guilty was read in the Derek Chauvin trial? I was in Minneapolis driving, North Minneapolis actually, driving to Shiloh Temple Church where a group of white pastors and black pastors had agreed to come together. It was something that we decided on Monday afternoon that when the verdict came out, that wherever we were, as many as possible would come and be physically present with each other to pray. It was a gesture of unity. We have been together for months and to say that it's not about this week, it's about the long haul. And that gesture of coming together to pray was the key. I pulled up, the announcement was made on the radio. I mean, I had an immediate impact, a feeling of relief. By the way, I know that there are um, mixed feelings. I'm not asking you to feel what I feel. I'm just sharing transparently what I felt. Relief. I felt relief. I walked into the church, and there was Reverend Richard Coleman. And he was in the front, a black leader who's impacted my life. We have been friends for 20 years, ministry partners at Westwood. For decades, he's been a voice of racial healing, a phrase that he introduced to us in our gatherings, sacrificially and joyfully turning pain into purpose. And I saw him, went to the front, he saw me, and we embraced each other, and we both wept. For a year, we haven't been hugging each other, but we didn't care. (laughs) We embraced each other for about five minutes, and I'm still trying to ponder the significance and the weight of that embrace. What happened this week is an inflection point in history, a turning point in America's racial reckoning and hope for God's healing, and yes, a better future. And the world was watching the Twin Cities, but better still, God was watching because God has in mind a voice for his church to be an instrument of this healing for our nation, and we know that to be true. So the question I want to address is, what will Westwood Community Church do to move forward toward racial healing in our land. And I'll say it declaratively, we will do what the Lord requires us to do. And he makes it pretty clear, it's not simple, but he makes it clear in Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the good that he requires. Let me just give you some context here. In Old Testament Israel, there were priests and there were prophets. And the priests represented the people to God. And the prophets represented God to the people. And Micah was a prophet. And he spoke for God. It was the 8th century BC. And the people of Israel thought that all was well in their land. After all, the nation had a king. The people were religious. The country um, was in peace, at least from their vantage point. But Micah joined the voices of his fellow prophets, Isaiah, Hosea, and Amos, and said, all is not well. The people were breaking their covenant with God. In fact, the people of Israel were treating the poor unjustly. The marginalized, the disadvantaged, They were just flat out unjust. The religious leaders were corrupt. The politicians were misleading the nation into the future. And now we find that there is a reckoning to be had. That 
God is in this place where judgment is near. So Micah used a word picture to preach the pronouncement of God. And this time it was an imaginary courtroom where God was the prosecutor and the people of Israel were the defendants and the mountains were the witnesses, the mountains. And during that course of the trial, Micah spoke of the judgment to come, but also put in a word of goodness of how they could reset and recalibrate to find healing for their people and their nation. His words are considered one of the greatest statements of ethics ever recorded, and they paint a picture of how we're to live our lives in general, and specifically, I want to apply them in this realm of the road toward racial healing that is before us. Westwood, this is what we will do to move forward. We will walk humbly with God. Let me speak into this a little. Many of you know that we have a chocolate uh, lab named Moose. You haven't heard anything about him lately. He's aging. He's 10. He's still a good dog. And because he's a lab, um, he forces me to walk. Because labs have to be walked. And I often have turned the required walking into meaningful praying. Because I have to walk him. So I've seized that moment, and some of my best prayer times are walking with my dog. It's very practical. Something happens. I don't know, when you're walking, um, you focus better, at least I do. And you know, I've never fallen asleep while I walk and pray. It's a really good (laughs) practice to consider. You want to rich your prayer life, walk and pray. It works really well. As I was walking on Wednesday following Tuesday's verdict, I knew I was going to change the message for the day. Oh, Lord, what do you want me to say? She seems like, there's so much. How do you bring it to a place of focus? And as I'm walking, um, the two-word rhythms of Micah 6, 8 speak to me. Walk humbly. Love kindness. Act justly. That's it. The command is to walk humbly. The command scans my heart like a flashlight. And it's raising this question, do I really walk humbly or do I mainly love the idea of being humble? That's what the flashlight is exposing in my heart. The Micah 6-8 flashlight exposes what is in the core of my very being. Let me break this out a little bit. It says to walk, which is an expression that you find throughout the scriptures that's almost a metaphor analogy in terms of our relationship with God, is to walk with God, with, walk with our God. In fact, one of uh, the most famous occurrences, they're all over the place, is Psalm 23, which you often hear at funerals. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's so interesting that they're at funerals because the psalmist wasn't dying. He just felt like he was dying. But we've put it at funerals all the time. And it says to walk, not run. There's something important in the verb here because I think God knows we want to run through hard situations. We we don't want to feel the pain. We want to find a shortcut. Sometimes we just want to get in a fetal position and take a nap and sleep as long as we can so we don't have to be cognizant of what's taking place. We tend to want to run through, not walk through, crucible moments, times of testing and trial. So why walk? Why does he elevate that verb? Walk. It's because we listen differently when we walk. We actually hear the whisper of God. And I hope you know that God is speaking to us all the time. It's just the tyranny of the urgent, the fullness of our life keeps us sometimes from hearing God. 
the bold commands of God, but the whispers of God. He's speaking to our soul in life and journey all the time. So I must ask myself, and in so doing, invite you to ask as well, am I walking on or running through the road of racial disparity? Kind of a weighty question. Am I listening to God's voice? Am I learning about God's mind? Or am I listening to cable news and watching social media or listening to the cacophony of voices that is creating so much dissonance in our culture right now that we're more confused than we are clarified in terms of how do we move forward at all. So the command is to walk with God, to listen to him and learn from him. And it continues to walk humbly. It's a dyad. I recently dedicated about two months ago a message to the the issue of humility. And in that message, I defined humility in a way that's been really helpful to me and I hope it has been to you as well, that humility is a responsiveness to the divine presence of God, that something happens when we walk humbly with God. We see who we are and what we want, but all of a sudden when I'm walking with God, I see who he is in greater measure and what he wants. And this is what happens. I want to respond. Humility is a responsiveness to the divine presence of God at work in my life. And how I respond when I see who God is and what he wants is I want it, so I repent, turning away from my inclination and wants to what he wants. I want more of him and less of me. Repentance then changes our mind, it changes our attitudes, what comes out of our mouths, it changes our actions, the behaviors that we have in order that we would embrace the good ways that God requires, in order that we would be and live like Jesus himself. To walk humbly with our God on this matter of racial healing does something on the inside. It creates a motivation from deep within to increase my awareness, to learn more, get an education about what is truly going on and then to engage better. That's what happens when we walk humbly with God. The humble person is a thoughtful person. It is not a a hot-tempered, know-it-all kind of person because we're learners, and I confess that to you. I am a learner on this journey and have been for many years, and especially the last few years in the deepest way possible, and I wish it would have been earlier in my life and journey. I pray that you will be learners with me in this together. The humble person wants to hear the other person's point of view, even though it might be different and even make me feel uncomfortable, I'm gonna sit with it because I wanna understand it better. The humble person thinks before talking. The humble person does something else, prays before texting. The humble person pauses before accusing. Too much accusing. Accusation has really created confusion for us in our land, in our relationships with each other. All of these things reflect an inside attitude of the heart that is responsive to the divine presence of God. So this is our way forward. We will walk humbly with our Lord. And what else will Westwood do moving forward? Two more words. We will love mercy. This little dyad made me want to sit on a rock with moose and go, whoa the weight of it started to take hold in my heart and mind. 
this simple call, this command that scans my heart like a flashlight, sets me back to ask the question again, do I really love mercy or do I mainly love the idea of mercy? That's what Micah 6, 8 does. It exposes the heart this way. The word mercy can be translated um, in several ways and one common way is kindness. And I think that word kindness is as strong and maybe even more fitting than the word mercy in this particular context. So I, I like that translation, I'm gonna use it. In other words, we're to treat people the way that God's, God treats people with kindness. We get that. And certainly many people do. But God is putting it in here because the people of Israel, many of them did not, and many people today do not, which is the crux of our long unresolved history in race relations as a nation. And that's why this week so many people responded. I'm sure you heard it again and again to the verdict with the words that I can breathe again. There was almost a national sigh of relief. I can breathe again. And it was a sentiment that expresses hope that a new door has opened for a better way and from God's vantage point, a kinder way, a kinder way. Now, lest we get caught up in doing good, I want you to notice the command to love kindness includes a heart response. This is what made me want to sit on the rock. I go, whoa. In other words, we're to treat people the way God treats people with kindness and love doing it. The, the command is to love kindness. And so we elevate the doing kind, but it's an easier command to do kind things because a command of action rather than of affection is um, more concrete. It seems more doable. It seems more measurable to do a kind thing. And so we can merely and easily say, there, I did it. I did a kind thing. I checked it off my list, but that's not what God is looking for here. It's much deeper than that. You see the heart of God, and it's deep, and he wants it to be our hearts as well. The command is to love kindness, which penetrates the heart. It's much more demanding than doing kind things. It's much more demanding. I recently um, painted a room in our home. I didn't want to paint the room in our home, but the earliest I could get a painter to come and paint at the room in the house was at least three months. Because all of you are doing stuff to your home, could you just stop for a week and let me paint, get a painter to come in? But I couldn't wait three months, so I said I just gotta do it. I didn't want to do it. I mean, I can paint, no problem with that, but the particular room included the tedious painting of a fireplace and bookshelves and trim and adding shoe to the trim and all of that. And it just, a wall, no problem. <laughs> Done, good, but no, it was the tedious nature. But I said, this is what it is. So I, in the little time I had, put a couple hours here, a couple hours there, painting at midnight. A week has passed, I do not have it done. I'm feeling overwhelmed. And so I called a friend. I'm just near the finish line. I mean, I'm on the five-yard line and going in, but I'm discouraged. I called a friend. Any chance you could help me just do this one thing? And uh, I thought it was at least a two-hour deal. And he said, yeah, I'll come. So he came. And he did it. And then he stayed for two more hours and did other things I never asked him to do. He did a kind thing with joy. He loved doing the kind thing. He was fulfilling this very command. It changed the environment. All of a sudden, I loved painting. <laughs> I was enriched. This is good. It was positive. Much better to paint with someone than alone. I'll just put that moral to the story on the table for you to love doing this. It's very interesting to sit in this because loving kindness changes the environment. 
not just the external environment, but the very structure of our heart in terms of how we do what we do. That's what God is looking for here. We can't love kindness without loving people. And you can't say that you love kindness if others know that your demeanor tends to be harsh and critical, demeaning, self-centered, impatient, irritable. Could I go on? Do you really love people? Are you really embracing the command to love kindness? Oh, the heart of God is deep. Last summer, when chaos broke out on Lake Street, in the midst of all those riots, um, a black friend and leader in the city called and said, Joel, I need you to come. Would you stand with me and be with me? That call went out to other pastors, about 20 of us who would make our way down. And I said, yes. My dad had a restaurant two blocks from the third precinct. Not a problem for me to join you there. I lived in that community. I felt that community and the pain in a different way. I was motivated. I I rushed home. I said, Carrie, I'm going to go down to the third precinct. And she looked at me like, are you kidding me? She said, you're not going alone. And I said, hey, I'm 6'4". I I can do this. And she goes, you are not going alone. So I called my biggest best friend. Six foot eight, 325 pounds. And he said, what are you doing? He told me, he said, it doesn't matter. I'm picking you up in 15 minutes. And he came with me with kindness, loving kindness. And we were together, joined about 20 other pastors, plus, I think, that were there around the third precinct. Something happened in my heart in that place. I've been reading about this for years. I've been talking with people for years, but now I'm in the middle of it. It changes me, last summer did. I'm understanding things today that I've never understood in my life. And the gathering with pastors, can I tell you, has blossomed into a massive oak tree that I believe is serving as a canopy of God's goodness over the Twin Cities right now. Out of crisis comes life and, and unity in ways I would have never dreamed or expected. This is our way forward toward healing, doing kind things, and specifically loving doing it. That's the command. What will Westwood do? We will walk humbly. We will love mercy and kindness, and we will act justly. Two words again, those little dyads, act justly, translated in many of your scriptures as to do justice, and I like that. Just do it. Do justice, to act justly, to do justice. So the command scans my heart again with that flashlight and makes me ask the question in each of these different commands. Do I really do justice? Or do I mainly love the idea of justice? That is, is my doing justice mainly not doing just injustice myself, that is, or rarely engaging in justice for others? Let me just define justice in simplest terms. Is fairness, it's equality, and doing what is right for everyone. And Micah 6.8 exposes me. We can easily get away, friends, with telling others that we love justice, but do we do justice? The command is to do justice. And you can again see the incredible depth of God's heart that he's given to us in Christ Jesus and that he's calling out the people of Israel then and he's calling us into as well. Because it would be easier if the commands were stated in a different way. If the command was do kindness rather than to love kindness. Because doing kindness seems measurable. It's concrete. I'll go there. But loving kindness um, as I do it, that's a different command. It would be easier if the command was love justice. 
but instead it's do justice because it's easier for us to love justice than it is to actually go and do it. It's much easier to rant against injustice than to make meaningful action to stop it. And there's been way too much ranting on injustice and too much passive engagement in terms of how can we turn a corner together. I'm learning this. I'm just telling you, I'm learning this. I'm inviting us as a church to learn it together, to be part of God's voice moving forward because ranting costs little, but doing justice demands a whole lot. It's a lot of energy, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of complexity to step into these arenas, and it's a lot of thoughtfulness and heart. Doing justice almost always requires loving a vulnerable or oppressed person in a way that personally is a cost to us. And of course, the example for us is God who so loved the messy world that he gave his only son. It cost his son to enter into our mess. And that, re, um, that entry of the Lord into our journey, into the messiness of our world, is a call for us to enter into the messiness of life with the understanding that God's peace reigns in it and he has a voice and a place for us to serve in those given circumstances. So God's testing our hearts by making justice something that we must do, not just love. And if we were to sit down together and you say, oh, I love justice, and I investigated a little further, said, what are you doing specifically to do justice? I think the conversation would get awkward. We're learning together. I don't say that with shame. I'm just saying I think God's moving us to a different posture to be more engaged than our general inclination on these matters. Okay, I have a few random thoughts in the time that remains. I actually have a lot of random thoughts. <laughs> Putting together thoughts is really hard on a day like this. So I thought, well, I'm just gonna tell you, I got a string of pearls at the end. Would you hang in there with me as I say a few things? One, most people would agree that justice was served in some measure in Minneapolis this past week. But we have, and you've heard this so many times, a long way to go. Let me speak. As children of God, we will reach the climactic future of justice in the end when Jesus comes back again. Okay? That's when it will be made full. In the meantime, we are called to strive, in the words of the old hymn, for a taste of glory divine that we get a foretaste by personally practicing these things, these good things that the Lord requires us so we can see heaven on earth, even in this window, awaiting for his return on the other day. And in the midst of that, it's not just our personal practices for us or our local communities, but for the systems that are sideways, that need help, that relate to unjust systems that exploit, threaten, and endanger anyone. I've always appreciated the, the, the prayer of Mother Teresa and the instruction she gave to her teams every morning when she said, together, we can do something beautiful for God. That's how she started her day. Today, um, we can do something together for the beauty, beauty of God and the beautiful nature of God, what he wants to do. So I want to point out a few things. We can bring a good and right change in the criminal justice system. I think new doors are opening to that end. We can work to change education systems so that there's greater quality of education for all children. And that's a platform Westwood is choosing to step into and have for several months been working in partnership with Wayman Church and in order to serve something greater than our own entities. So Wayman is a predominantly um, black church and Westwood is a predominantly white church, but we're serving together for the common good of an entity greater than our own 
to serve uh, Franklin Middle School with education to bring better quality education in partnership together. We hope to be rolling that out come this fall. And they've been working hard. It's hard work. It takes time. How do we not step in and inappropriately set agendas? How do we do that in a spirit of understanding? That's where we are right now. We can work to improve housing conditions that are subpar, finding new compelling kinds of ways to help families get out of poverty. We can also help young people get equipped to find better jobs and establish better careers along the way. These are some of the things, just the beginning of the journey, that I think a new door is opening, that we will see something beautiful happen, even in the months ahead. Um, even this week, things are, are, are populating um, and opportunities are opening up. But in the years ahead, we hope to see great gain for this healing that is needed in our land. Okay, another random thought. We've seen some of this already at work. It seems to me God is working through a number of things in the world and in our country. We've already seen a reset in the church of Jesus Christ concerning sexual abuse, and it's bringing about good change. We've already seen a reset in several years for women and their roles in the marketplace. It's already bringing good change. We have, um, in this recent time, seen the reset that's needed for policing protocols. It will bring about good change. We want good policing. In my conversations with those involved with law enforcement in our church, with our many people, and it's been color commentary throughout the course of these months, so grateful for their voice, but they affirm they want good policing as well. And I think I can say declaratively that the vast majority do good policing, that they are there to fulfill their oath to protect and serve community. And so I have a word. Yes, I think we should thank our law enforcement. We, we need to thank them. Majority of them are doing a good job. And I just want to say a personal word to all of those involved with law enforcement. It is a hard job. It is a hard, hard job. And we feel that with you. We pray with you in it as you have to exercise wisdom in these given places. But we recognize you for doing a job well. And this week, accountability for those who do not fulfill their oath will bring about a good change. In fact, the scriptures, I think, speak about everything. And they even speak about the few who make it bad and hard for everybody else. You'll find it in Ecclesiastes 10.1. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. That's the ancient equivalent to the American saying that one bad apple spoils the barrel. And what's happening is there's a rooting out of bad apples, which will protect the good apples. It will bring about good change. One more thought. And maybe the most important is we get to be the church. And the church does not stay silent. The church stands up for righteousness, for justice. We speak up to that end, yes. But who we walk with truly matters. There are dozens of organizations, dozens of them that are working on justice as well. Some do it constructively with a sincere desire to bring um, a kind of change peacefully. And there are others who you know do it divisively with a sincere desire to bring about change, but by any means, including destruction as well as even violence for some. And we speak as the children of God for the voice of God that God does not affirm um, this kind of choice, that, that looting and destroying businesses that employ, as well as stores that close 
and food marts that bring food to people who most need it is not right in the eyes of God. And many of these organizations don't want the church involved. So they stir it up for us. They make it difficult. They bring anger and frustration even in our Christian fellowships and create confusion. And unfortunately, in this last year, there has been a diminishing desire of many of us to want to be instruments of peace because we get so frustrated and angry and we feel so helpless in the middle of it. But we are called to do what is right and good and noble and pure. We are called to walk humbly with our God. We are called to love kindness. We are called to act justly in the midst of opposition. We get to be the light of the world. You don't need light if there's no darkness. We are the light of Jesus Christ. So Westwood, we will walk with God and we will partner with gospel-centric partners committed to the good of all people because if there is any healing to be done, it's God who brings the healing. So we look for God's presence and power to bring that healing into our communities and we seek to do that well to honor him. I personally am not walking alone. In, uh, in Luke 2, there is a, a picture of Jesus sending out the disciples two by two, which is interesting because you think, wow, you could get a lot more done if you just send them out one by one. So he must be doing two by two for a reason. God always does this stuff for, the, for a purpose. It might be accountability. We have more accountability when we go two by two. We have uh, more encouragement when we go two by two. But I think something is greater at work in the kingdom of God that is co-laboring changes the environment in which we serve the purposes of God and it invites the spirit of the, law, the Lord to work miracles of faith, the kind of faith that moves mountains, and we have big mountains to move, and we do it by faith in Jesus Christ. So I say to you, I will not walk alone. I've been walking with Reverend Richard Coleman. It's been a privilege to do that side by side, and um, we've been walking as a church with Wayman Church. It's been a privilege to do that. I'm engaged because, quite honestly, he's made it possible to open doors for me to learn with him and he to learn with me. And I don't know why this is happening, but God has raised up our voices in the Twin Cities to make a difference. There are more people smarter than me. I'm not sure how I've gotten into this posture, but I've said yes to it. I'm available, God, and I'm standing in that place with Richard. We've been so much in it, he wanted to send a note to our church family. And I got it at the end of the week, so I share it with you. Diverse people, he says, united in love is the great witness to the kingdom, power, and glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed for our unity and died to secure it, intentionally connecting with individuals and groups from whom we have been separated is an essential element of our mission. Joel and I intended to humble ourselves so we could more clearly see Christ as the cause, purpose, and Lord of our relationship. We have both sought to honor and prefer each other and to always defer to the Lord's direction so that our shared ministries will affect our Father's will. As children of God, we consider how our pastoral leadership and community engagement affects you. And I know my engagement has not always been easy for many of you. I acknowledge that. He goes on to say, we love you and we pray our servant leadership will bless you to prosper as the witnesses of Jesus Christ. I want to be a witness for Jesus Christ, but I want to do it with you all the way. It's a sacred privilege to partner with Reverend Coleman and Wayman Church, and God is using us to help churches move forward to racial healing. Can I also add, it's even fun. You wouldn't think it would be, 
because it's been so stinking hard. It really has. But there are fun moments, and we're finding the joy of the Lord and celebrating and laughing together. So this is how we're going to end. I'm going to invite you to stand. You can do that right now. Um, we're going to close um, with united voice to read together Micah 6, 8. I'm going to do a brief prayer, and then we're going to sing one of the songs that um, our worship team sang uh, on Tuesday afternoon. An hour before we gathered for that prayer, an hour after the verdict, um, I got a call from Transform Minnesota. Would you be able to have one of your worship leaders come and sing a song? Well, we have to drive to North Minneapolis. I don't know. So I call Callie, who's behind me, and she says, yes, like that. That's a leader. Count me in. She calls Ben. They come together, join with other black voices in the church. I asked them to sing one song. They sang four. No rehearsal, no practice, um, in harmony, four-part harmony. Amazing. And they're going to sing um, today how they sang when we were together. But first, would you join me and unite together on what, what God requires us from Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. So, Lord, we do that. We sing praise to you for a grace that has come to us that seems uncontainable from your vantage point. We thank you for grace. We thank you for the call to be your people, instruments of peace in this world. We seek it to do it for your honor and glory. Amen.